God tonight, John chapter 5, and we're going to look, I think it'd be good if we start with verse 16, John chapter 5 and verse 16, and in this chapter you're going to see that Jesus really gets down to reality. There's a lot of religious people that are in the world. And as Brother Edmund said Sunday night, in America, there is nobody that goes to hell. As he said, everybody in America goes to heaven. It doesn't matter what they believe, if they repented or didn't repent or were baptized or filled the spirit or they didn't have any of that in their life. They still believe they go to heaven. And... Uh, in this chapter, you're going to find out what Jesus says about what it takes to really be saved and to understand who he is. Amen? Okay, so John chapter 5, verse 16. Before I read this, I'm going to ask you a question, and I don't want you to answer it, but I want you to think about it. How many of you believe tonight that if you reject the Word of God, okay, the Word of God, when you reject the word of God, that you're rejecting Jesus Christ. And, you know, you don't have to put your hand. I know most of you have no problem. You know exactly the answer to that. But if you reject the word of God in this Bible tonight, are you rejecting Jesus Christ? You understand? If you turn your back on the word of God and you walk away from the word of God, is that equal to turning your back on God and walking away from God? We're going to find out tonight. Praise the Lord. Okay? I think a lot of people have a lot of ideas about Christianity and about faith and about God and about Jesus Christ that are not biblical. They think that they can just turn their back and walk out on the Word of God, just walk away from or reject the Word of God or close their ears to the Word of God and still be saved. But you cannot be saved without this Word in your life. In fact, the Bible says, God shows through the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. He didn't say he chose through the foolishness of preaching to save them that are lost. He said he chose this what? By the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. So if you're a believer tonight, you still have to have the word of God in order to be saved. If you reject the word of God, it is equal to rejecting Jesus Christ in your life. And you will see that tonight. So it's a very dangerous thing. And you will find yourself spiraling downward, downward, downward. Until you come to a place called hell. Let's look at the 16th verse. Therefore, the Bible says, Did the Jews persecute Jesus and sought to slay him because he had done these things on the Sabbath day? But Jesus answered them, My father worketh hitherto and I work. Therefore, the Jews sought the more to kill him because he not only had broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his father, making himself equal with God. Now I'm going to cover the whole rest of the chapter tonight, but I'm going to stop reading there. Okay? Father, we come before you. We ask your blessing to be upon the reading of your holy word. We ask God that you speak to every heart in this house tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Okay, so look at verse 16 again, please. And therefore did the Jews persecute Jesus sought to slay him because he had done these things on the Sabbath day. 
At this point, what is happening is that the Jews are coming to challenge Jesus Christ. Remember, the background is that he healed the man at the pool of Bethesda, and he told him to take up his bed. You know, he was healed, take up his bed. And it was on the Sabbath day. And so the Jews, religious leaders, got all bent out of shape because Jesus told this man to take up his bed on the Sabbath day. And they looked at it as working. Okay? And they looked at it as if Jesus had broken the Sabbath day when he commanded that man to take up his bed and carry it from that place on the Sabbath day. So this dialogue begins to take place between Jesus and the Jews. And you're going to find out why the Jews in that day and the Jews in modern day do not believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Why do not the Jews believe that Jesus is the Messiah? We're going to find out. Because it's the same reason uh, that they didn't believe in him in those days. So they begin to persecute him. They enter into a dialogue with Jesus Christ. They are going to challenge him. They persecute him are trying to persecute him, and they would have killed him, the Bible says. Have you ever wondered why people will not leave you alone? You're in the bride of Christ, you're a born-again believer, you're faithful to God, and they will challenge you, or they will try to persecute you, or they'll try to come against you, and you'll say, well, wish they would just leave me alone. Why don't they just leave me alone? Let me believe in the Lord. Let me live for the Lord. Why do they persecute me? Why do they come against me? Why do they fight me? Have you ever wondered that? Why people won't leave you alone? Why won't they leave this church alone? You understand? Why do they fight the church? Why do they fight you? You ever ask that question? Why don't you just leave us alone? If you don't like us, just leave us alone. Don't fight us. Why do they fight you? Why do they fight the church? Why do people do that? You know why? Any idea? Because you're a follower, a true follower of Jesus Christ. And when you follow Jesus Christ the Bible way, just like he was persecuted, and they were trying to kill him on this day, desired to kill him, the same thing's going to happen to those who really follow Jesus Christ. So you will find out that anybody that, let's say, they're in the church and then they leave the church and you wonder why they don't just leave the church and, and don't say anything about the church, don't talk bad about the church, don't persecute the church, don't fight the church, don't put the church down. If you're going to leave, just leave and leave the church alone. Why is it when they leave the church, they don't leave the church alone? Because when a person leaves Jesus Christ, they will fight the bride of Christ. Anybody that turns their back on Jesus Christ will begin to fight the bride of Jesus Christ and they will not leave the bride of Christ alone because they've turned their back on Jesus Christ. Does that make sense to you? So they'll come against the church. They'll persecute it. They'll speak against it. They'll fight the church. Why? Because they have backslidden away from Jesus Christ. And because they're backslidden away from Jesus Christ, now they're fighting against God. And because they're fighting against God, they're going to fight against the bride of Christ. That's why they won't leave you alone. Because now they're an adversary of Jesus Christ. And because they're an adversary of Jesus Christ, they're going to fight the bride of Jesus Christ. 
That's why if they leave, they don't just leave and shut up. When they leave, they got to fight you. Because they didn't just leave the church, they left God. And when anybody leaves God, they will fight the bride of God. You mark it down. You write it down. That's the way it's going to be. That's just how it is. And they will tell you if you talk to them, I didn't leave God. I didn't leave Jesus Christ. I just left that church. If that was the case, they wouldn't fight or persecute that church. But because they left Jesus Christ in reality, the proof that they left Jesus Christ is that they're going to fight the bride of Christ, the true bride of Christ. All right? Now, I, listen, I don't have a problem. If you want to go somewhere else, really, seriously, if you want to go to another church, I don't have a problem with that at all, okay? Uh, even if you leave stiff-necked, hard-headed, uh, I don't have a problem with that. If you want to go, go. But I will tell you that if you go and you fight this church, it lets me know instantly and immediately that you have left God. Because if you did not leave God, but you just decided to go to another church, you would not fight this church because this church is the bride of Jesus Christ. But because you left God when you left this church, now you're going to fight this church because this church is the true bride of Christ. Does that make sense? So I'm telling you, I'm, for every one of you to know tonight, if you want to go somewhere else, I have no problem with that. But I'm telling you, if you fight us after you go, it lets me know you left God. Give the Lord praise. So Jesus Christ does a miracle of healing. You would think that these people would be excited about the power of God being manifested in this man's life, this man has been made whole. He's been 38 years impotent, powerless to walk, you know, diseased in his body. And here comes Jesus Christ by the power of God in him. And he raises this man up, heals this man and tells him to take up his bed on the Sabbath day and walk. And they say, well, he broke the Sabbath day, right? And they begin to persecute him, begin to fight against him. And the scripture tells us they would desire to kill him. That makes sense. So what you need to understand is that when somebody leaves God, they're not going to leave you alone. Get ready for the battle of your life. Get ready for the fight of your life. They're just not going to leave. They're gonna, if they leave God, they're not just going to leave. They're going to leave fighting the church. If they just leave the church and, and they stay in the church, go somewhere else, no problem. But what lets you know if they are still walking with God or not is if they still have a reverence for the bride of Christ that's in that assembly. If they don't, they left God. And that's why they won't leave you alone. And that's why they won't leave me alone is because they have left God. You understand that? Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. So you say, why don't they just leave me alone? They won't because they're persecuting the bride of Christ. They're fighting the bride of Christ. And when they do that, they're fighting God. Okay, so anyway, so we see they're coming against Jesus Christ, these religious people. And the Bible tells us, if you'll look at it, verse 17, 
Jesus starts this dialogue with them, and this is the awesome homily of Jesus. It's an awesome preaching. He's preaching to them. And the Bible tells us, but Jesus answered them, my father worketh hitherto, and I work. When he said that, he's making himself equal with God. When he said, look at it, my father worketh hitherto, and I work. Wow. Does that make sense to you? He's saying, I'm doing what God does. Okay? God is working and I'm working. Now, they got all been out of shape because they claim Jesus Christ had broken the Sabbath day, right? Well, in the book of Genesis chapter 2, the Bible tells us that Jesus, that God, rested on the seventh day, right? That's the Sabbath day. What do you rest from? What do you rest from, church? That original creation, the original work of creation, God rested from that original creation. But did He completely stop everything? Did He stop His providence? Did He stop providing for mankind? Did He stop controlling the worlds? He held everything together by the word of His power. So He... he he finished his work as far as original creation is concerned, but he did not finish his work of providence, of providing for man. You understand that? So, <clears throat> when he rested from that original work, does not mean that he stopped doing anything. Okay? He continued to provide for man. Therefore, he did not violate the Sabbath day. Does that make sense? The Sabbath day wasn't a boundary on God. When it said He rested from all that He had made, He rested from that original work of creation, but He did not stop working in the realm of providence. And when man in the Garden of Eden sinned against God, when he fell, from that time forward, God was in the process not only of working providentially for humankind, but he was in the process of working for man's redemption and deliverance physically and spiritually. Does that make sense? So even though God rested from the original creation, he continued to work in the area of providence, providing. And then after the fall, he started working in the area of redemption for mankind. But yet he didn't violate the Sabbath day. Because the Sabbath day was never meant to put a boundary on God to keep him from doing anything. And so Jesus heals the man on the Sabbath day. And that's a work of God on the Sabbath day. And they're accusing Jesus Christ of violating or breaking the Sabbath day. Come on. But that was a work of God in the sense that God is trying to redeem and restore man and heal man of, of his condition because of sin. So when Jesus did what he did, he didn't break the Sabbath day. The Sabbath day, they never put a boundary on God. 
God just ceased from his original creation. He continued to work to provide men. And he continued to work to bring the redemption of mankind. And so when Jesus comes in the world and he heals this man on the Sabbath day, he did not break the Sabbath. They said he did, but he didn't. When he told that man to take up his bed and walk. They said, well, that man broke the Sabbath day doing that. No, he didn't. No, because God was working there. God healed that man and God told him what to do. So there was no boundaries on God. You know, they, they misinterpreted the word of God to make the day more important than the man. They elevated the Sabbath day above God. And not, not above God himself, but above Jesus Christ. Does that make sense to you? So I'm going to say it again. God, after the original creation, he rested from all that he had made. Right? And he sanctified that seventh day, set it apart unto himself. But that doesn't mean he ceased working. He was working by way of providence. And after the fall of man, he was working by way of redemption. To redeem man and to deliver man spiritually and to deliver him physically. So when Jesus comes in the flesh, he's God come in the flesh. And so when this man is healed, it was a work of God. And if it's a work of God, that means Jesus is God. Does that make sense? They want to kill him because in their mind, he has broken the law of God. Does that make sense? They just don't understand. So let's keep reading. Let's look at it. So oh, help me tonight, Lord. But Jesus answered them, my father worketh hitherto and I work. So he's basically saying, I'm doing what God is doing. I'm doing what God is doing and I'm doing what God told me to do. So how can I be in violation to God or God's word if God told me to do this? But you say, I thought you said he was God. He is. Then what I mean that God told him to do that. Told his humanity. You understand that? So Jesus is God come in the flesh. So the spirit of God that was in that humanity was telling that son what to do. He was telling that humanity what to do. Does that make sense? So you're going to see two things going on in this chapter. You're going to see the son, the sonship of Jesus, the humanity of Jesus, obeying, responding to the spirit of God that is in him. The humanity of Jesus is subordinate to his deity. Does that make sense? So God in him tells him what to do. God in him gives him the next step. God shows him what to do. God in him. Then the son responds to the spirit of God that is in him. So the sonship is obeying and responding and submitting to the spirit of God that's in him. That don't make him two gods. It makes his humanity less than his deity. And because his humanity is less than his deity, the deity that is in him is commanding that humanity and telling that humanity what to do. So the son of the humanity responds and obeys the deity that is in him, but he never ceases to be deity. You understand? So when he says, God works hitherto, all right? 
Look at it. And I work. He's telling them, I am God. Wow. Do you understand that modern day Judaism rejects Jesus Christ, uh, not only his Messiahship, but they reject, when you say Messiahship, I'm talking about that he's the Christ, okay? The, the Messiah. They not only reject that he is the Messiah, they reject that he is deity. Does that make sense? So now when he begins to have a dialogue with these Jews who are challenging him, he's going to let them know that he is God at work. Okay, you get it? Okay, verse 18. Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him. Because he not only had broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his father. So now they don't only want to kill him because they said he broke the Sabbath. Okay. But now they want to kill him because he's making himself equal with God. So what I'm telling you, I'm not making this up as I preach it to you. When he looked at them and he said, my father worketh hitherto and I work. They knew he was claiming to be equal with God. They knew he was claiming to do what God does, be in God. Okay? The title of the message tonight, equal with God. Equal with God. And the word equal means equivalent. Equivalent to God. He's equal with God. He's equivalent to God. He is not a competing God with God. Does that make sense? When it says he's equal with God, he is not a competing God with God. Nor is he another God. You've got to catch what I'm telling you. If he's equal with God, that means he is God. You understand that? Because if your idea of equality with God separates him from God, then you got one God competing with another God. Or you have another God in contrast to the God of creation. You understand what I'm telling you? So when he, when the Bible tells us right here, look at it again. Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him because he not only had broken the Sabbath, but said, but said also that God was his father. In what way? That God was the father of that humanity. Making himself equal with God. Which means that he is God. So now are they not only upset because they said he broke the Sabbath day. But now they're upset because he claims that God is his father. The father of his humanity. That he was virgin born. Therefore making himself equal with God. Not competing with God. And not another God. But equivalent to God. God himself. Okay. Go to John 1. John 1. Verse 1. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. And the word was God. Say the word was God. 
Look at verse 14. John 1, 14. And the Word was made flesh. So now we know God was made flesh. So when he talks about, when Jesus talks about God being his Father, he's talking about God being the Father of his humanity. Get this down. Get this down. Okay? Not that the Father is separate from him. He's talking about the Father, the eternal Spirit, is the Father of his humanity. Okay, got it? So 114, the Word was made flesh. The Word's God. And it was made flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld the glory of the glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, right? Okay, look at verse 18. No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, He hath declared Him. No man has seen God. The eternal Spirit of God is invisible. No man has ever seen the Spirit of God. Right? So what God did was He veiled Himself in flesh and the invisible God became visible in humanity. And Jesus, when He came, He exegeted God or He revealed God to man. He showed God to man. So that when you looked at Jesus, you were looking at God. When you looked at Jesus, you were looking at God there in the flesh. And God was showing, Jesus was showing God to people in a visible way. They couldn't see His Spirit, but when they saw Jesus, they saw God in a visible way. Does that make sense? Okay, so the Word is God, and the Word was made flesh. And now we see that uh, verse 18 tells us, No man has seen God, that's the Spirit of God. At any time, the only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, He hath declared Him or revealed Him to us. Okay, now go to John 14, verse 9. John 14, 9. Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, Show us the Father? Notice he didn't say, He that has seen me has seen the Son. He said, He that has seen me has seen the Father. Wow. So when he says God is working hitherto and I work, he's letting them know that he's God working. That when he raised that man up and healed that man in the pool of Bethesda, he did it as God himself. He was the one. God's the one that raised him up. God in flesh. God in human form. The God man, Christ Jesus. The God man, Christ Jesus. The God-man is standing right in front of them. The God-man is the one that healed that, that man in the pool of Bethesda. The God-man is right there. And he's saying, what you're seeing is God at work. God did it through me. Which makes him equal to and equal with God. That means he is God. He's not another God. He's not a competing God. He is God in flesh. Doing what God does and working the works of God. As God. Powerful. This really. See this will make them mad for the rest of their life. Okay. It is still making the Jewish people today mad. 
I'm talking about the ones that don't believe in. Okay? Now watch. Let's look at it some more. Okay, I gotta go back. John 5. Woo! Help me, God. Now remember the, the book of John, as it's written, is going to prove what was we've already covered in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. John 1, 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld His glory as of the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, right? Amen. You understand what I'm telling you? And so what we have in these chapters is a proving that Jesus is the Word, that Jesus is God come in the flesh, correct? And they're challenging Him. They're coming to dialogue with Him. They're rebuking Him because they claim He broke the Sabbath. And now, when He makes the statement, watch, my Father worketh hitherto, and I work to do what? To bring redemption to man. Therefore, the Jews sought, therefore, more, the more to kill him, because he not only had broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his Father. But I said, I read to you in John 14, 9, the Bible said, Jesus said, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Make sense? So Jesus did claim that God was his Father, but he also claimed that he was the Father. And so when he claims that God is his father, the humanity is speaking. He's saying that God is the father of his humanity. But he doesn't stop being the father. Okay. And everything that's about to be said in this chapter is a proof that Jesus is equal to God. He is the equivalent of God himself come in flesh. Okay. He does the same things that God does. He works the works of God, being God. And we're going to go right down the list and we're going to see what he says about himself. Some people say Jesus never claimed to be God. Oh, really? Verse 19, then answered Jesus, and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the Son can do nothing of himself. Say the Son. Can do nothing of himself. That's the humanity. Wow. He's letting you know in his humanity. He's not independent of God. In his humanity. He is not doing things. In his own initiative. He's not taking it on himself. He's, it's not his own initiative. He's, he's, um, he's not doing these things. Independent of God. Okay. You get that? All right, praise the Lord. He's depending on the leading of the Spirit of God that's in him. Then answer Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the Son can do nothing of himself, but what he seeth the Father do. For what things soever he doeth, these also doeth the Son. Now what you have to understand is this. Is that if the Son does nothing of himself, but what he seeth the Father do, that means he has to be the Father. You see, he cannot absolutely do what the Father does without being the Father himself. What I need you to see is verse, look at it again. Verse 18. Jews are upset. They sought the more to kill him because he not only had broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his Father, making himself equal with God. That's what you need to remember on everything we're covering tonight. Okay? Now you can be led by the Spirit of God as a son. You obey, you respond to the Word of God that's given you, correct? 
But that doesn't make you God. That doesn't make you the Father. But in Jesus' case, it's not like, you know, you. Where you hear the Spirit of God, you obey God, you respond to God, you're led by the Spirit, right? Amen. But that don't make you God. That doesn't make you the Father. But in Jesus' case, it's much more than you and me. When He does what the Father shows Him, the only way He could do that is if He was the Father. Or if He was equal to God. It's not, you know, the Spirit of God separate from Jesus Christ and He's just doing what the Spirit of God separate from Himself is telling Him to do. No. This is proof that He is equal to God and that He's not doing these things in His humanity in His own initiative. Okay? But He's being led by the Spirit of the Father that is in Him. So He is the Father. For what, so, what things soever He doeth, these also doeth the Son likewise. So Jesus is equal to God in works. He's equal to God in doing what God does. It's so simple. The only reason why people can't understand the passages is because they have these creedal glasses that tell them there's three separate persons in the Godhead. If you didn't have those creedal glasses that said, that told you or tra trained you that there's three separate persons in the Godhead, the Father is separate from the Son and the Son separate from the Holy Ghost, if you didn't have those creedal glasses on your eyes right now, you would have no problem seeing what He's saying. You would know that He's the Word coming flesh, and that Word is God. You would know He's the one who's made God visible to man. You would know that when you saw Him, you saw the Father. So when He says, He sees what the Father doeth, for what sort of things he doeth, these also doeth the Son likewise. Okay? The humanity is obeying the deity that is in him. But he is absolutely the Father. He's equal to the Father. He's equal to God. He's not separate from him. So he's doing the same things the Father does. Does that make sense? So he's equal to God in the fact of the air of works. Now watch. Wow. He's equal to God in the sense that He knows the same that God knows. Because God is revealing to Him. See, as God, He knows everything. But God who knows everything is revealing to His humanity who doesn't know everything. Does that make sense? So he is equal to God in his works. He's equal to God in his knowledge. He knows everything. Praise the Lord. In his deity. Verse 20. For the Father loveth the Son. So there's an intimate relationship between that humanity and deity. The Father loves the Son, so he tells the Son what to do. And the Son loves the Father, so He obeys what the Father tells Him to do. Does that make sense? Let me put it to you this way. The humanity of Jesus loves the Father. Loves the deity. And so His humanity obeys His deity. Because His humanity loves His deity. And, his, and the deity that's in Him loves that humanity. And so because He loves that humanity, He shows that humanity what to do. 
You have no seats? Get a Lord praise in the house. Now watch this. For the Father loved the Son, showeth him all things that himself doeth, and he will show him what? Greater works than these that ye may marvel. God's, Jesus is telling him that he's equal to the Father in works. He's equal to God in knowledge. He's equal to God in what God does. He does, right? And he says, basically, put it in, in my terminology. If you think you've seen anything, if you think you saw something when you saw that man in the pool of Bethesda take up his bed and walk, he said that greater works he said, you're going to see greater works than these. He's telling them that just as I raise that man up off of that bed, I'm going to raise the dead. That's the greater work, and we'll get to it in just a minute. He's letting them know that he is operating as with the prerogatives of God. God raises the dead. God judges God's the one that's going to sit on the, the throne and judge. And just say, you think that work there, that work of God that you saw, that man being healed at the pool of Bethesda, he said, you're going to see greater things than that. He said, you're going to see me raise the dead. He said, you're going to see me sitting on the throne judging greater things and raising people from the dead and sitting on the throne of God judging is a prerogative of God Himself. You got been out of shape, understand? Because I claim to be equal with God. Amen. Praise the Lord, church. He said, You haven't seen anything yet. You wait till I raise the dead. Until I sit on the throne of God and judge. That's what God does. Amen. Okay, let's let's go on here now. Verse 20, for the Father loveth the Son, showeth him all things that himself doeth, and he will show him greater works than these that ye may marvel. You are in opposition to me. You are in opposition to God. You are fighting God when you fight Jesus. He said, but when you see me raise the dead, and when you see me judge the dead, oh, you're really going to be, you're, you're going to marvel then. You're marveling right now, but you're really going to marvel then. Because you're in opposition to Him. Say amen. You're going to stand there and shout. Okay, verse 21. For as the Father raiseth up the dead and quickeneth them, even so the Son quickeneth whom He will. So therefore what the Son is saying is that you're looking at God. He said because God's the one who quickens the dead and raises them. He says the son's going to do that. So you're not looking at a man separate from God. You're looking at God in flesh. And like God raises the dead, he said the son's going to do that because the son is equal to God. That's the greater work. That man in the pool of Bethesda being raised up like that is only a picture of the resurrection of the dead. The resurrection of the dead is greater than that miracle of that man taking up his bed. And it's Jesus Christ that's going to do it. He's equal to God in his ability to raise the dead. Verse 22. 
For the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son. Does that mean that when the Son is sitting on the throne and He's judging, that the Father... that Listen, let me say it again. When Jesus is sitting on the throne and He's judging, does that mean that, the, that He is judging mankind independent of the Father? That's not what that means. Because look at verse 30 of the same chapter. I can of my own self do nothing as I hear I judge. And my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of the Father which hath sent me. So when the Bible says, look at it again. For the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son. That doesn't mean that the Son, humanity, is going to judge mankind independent of the Father. It just got through saying in verse 30 that the Father is the one going to show him how to judge. The spirit that's in him is going to, okay, this way you judge, right? Tell the humanity how to judge. So the Father, in the context, the Father is not going to judge or condemn those that are in Christ. That are in Christ. If you're in Christ, the Father's not going to judge you. If you're in Christ, if you're saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, if you're saved by the blood of the Lamb, the Father is not going to judge you. But if you're outside of Jesus Christ, alright, His finished work is going to judge you. Praise the Lord. But it's still going to be God through Him judging humanity. The ones that are not going to be judged or condemned are the ones who are not rejecting Jesus. You see this? You understand that? Say praise the Lord. So he's equal to God in that he will judge mankind. That is a divine prerogative of God himself. If I had time to go through the Old Testament, I'd show you. It is God that sits upon the throne to judge. The book of Revelation talks about the great white throne judgment. It is the throne of God. But it's God in the humanity of Jesus Christ. So he's not going to judge independent of God. He's letting you know if you're in Christ, if you're in him, you don't have to worry about judgment. Give the Lord some praise in the house. So he's equal to God in works. He's equal to God in knowledge. He's equal to God in raising the dead. He's equal to God in judging. Oh, wow. This is mind-boggling. If they had any concept that the Messiah was going to be God in flesh, if they even had that concept, I, I don't know. I can't, I can't answer it, but I can tell you the ones he's talking to right here didn't have that concept because they weren't reading the Old Testament the way they were supposed to be reading the Old Testament. If they read the Old Testament the way they were supposed to read the Old Testament, they would have found out, Isaiah 7, 14 says, that he would be called Emmanuel, which would be interpreted as God with us. If they had read the Old Testament the way God intended the Old Testament to be read, when they read Isaiah 9, 6, for unto us a child is born, a son is given. Thou shalt call his name Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. If they had read that Old Testament the way it was intended to be read, they would have known that the Messiah would be Emmanuel, God with us. They would have known that He would have been the mighty God, the everlasting Father, as well as the Son. 
But because they were not reading that Old Testament the way they were supposed to read that Old Testament, they did not know who he was. They did not know that he was God standing in front of them. Working the works of God. Knowing the things that God knows. And He will raise the dead. And He will judge in the future. Hallelujah to the Lamb. The Spirit of God will rule through Him. Judge through that humanity. Now watch. Verse 24. Verily, verily, I say unto you. He's speaking to those Jews that day. These unbelievers. He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation. You don't have to worry about being judged. You don't have to worry about standing before God and being judged that day. Why? Because you're a believer. Say amen. amen. Say praise the Lord. Praise so I'm not interpreting this on my own. This is what the Bible says. I'll read it again. Verse 20. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me. It's not about his humanity being sent by the Spirit of God. Hath everlasting life. What he's letting them know, you're dead. You don't have everlasting life. You're not saved. Amen? And shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the what? The voice of the Son of God and they that hear shall live. He said the hour is coming and now is. The dead are going to hear the voice of the Son of God and they're going to live. What is he talking about? He's talking about a future time when he as God calls the dead out of the graves. But he also says, it's not only a future time, he says, now. The time is coming and now is. Does that mean he's fixing to raise everybody from the dead right there? There's two kinds of death. There's spiritual death and there's physical death. And so Jesus here said, as God, I'm going to raise the physical dead from their graves. Jesus as God is going to quicken the spiritually dead. Oh, hallelujah to the Lamb. In John chapter 11, He will say to them, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth on me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. So He's telling you that He's not only going to raise people from the graves, if you believe in Him according to the Scripture, you shall live now. You will cease to be spiritually dead. You'll be made alive unto God right now. But he is also the God who in eschatological terms, in the last days when he comes back as God, when he comes back to judge the quick and the dead, as God, when he comes back to judge the nations, as God, he'll call people out of the graves to judge them. But right now, those that hear His Word now, and you believe in Him that sent Him, God, He being God, then you don't have to worry about the judgment. Does that make sense? So, hallelujah, I was spiritually dead, and so were you. But I heard His voice. I heard His Word. I believe His Word. Jesus said, He that believeth 
my or heareth my word, heareth my word, and believeth on him. You got to believe on God the Bible way. You you can't say, I believe in God, but I'm not going to hear the word. You have to hear the word to hear God. You have to hear the word to believe God. You cannot separate God from his word. So if you reject his word, you rejected him. And if you rejected his word and rejected him, you have damnation to your soul. You are not alive under God. You can't reject his word and not reject him. It's impossible. You have to hear his word and believe. If you do that, then you'll have everlasting life. Because you're saved by the word of God. What he tells you to do. You're not saved by the love of God. You're saved by what he tells you to do. Does that make sense? Okay. Verily I say unto you, the hour is coming, verse 25, now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. Wow, that's powerful. So he as God is going to be the one to raise the dead, call them out of the grave. And he as God, when that word goes forth, it's going to quit those that are spiritually dead. I love him tonight, don't you? Verse 26. For as the Father hath life in himself, so hath he given to the Son to have life in himself. You can't have life in yourself without being God yourself. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm telling you that you got your life from somebody else. I got my life from somebody else. Who? When I say somebody else, God. God gave you your life. You didn't give yourself life. I didn't give myself life. Oh, did you catch that? So the Bible says God has life in himself. And then he goes on and he says, so he give, so hath he given to the son humanity to have life in himself, which means he has to be God because only God has life in himself. Everything else that has life received their life from God. And if the Son has life in Himself, that means He must be God because God is the only one who has life in Himself. Nobody gave God His life. He is life and He gave life to you. He's building on the fact that he is equivalent to God. He's equal with God. He's not competing with God. He's not another God. He is very God, a very God. And very man, a very man. He is the God man. Say praise the Lord. When he talks about the Father, he's talking about the Spirit of God in him. When he talks about the Son, he's talking about his humanity. Not two separate persons. When you read your Bible, you read the Father and the Son. Don't see two people. See two natures. There's not dathyism here in this chapter. There's not two gods. The Son and the Father separate from each other. Not two gods. Not dathyism. This is a monotheistic chapter. This is declaring to you that there's one God and His name is Jesus. 
God is going through scripture after scripture after scripture to declare to you that he is equivalent to God. He is not separate from the Father. He's not separate from God. He is God. Strict monotheism. Not two gods. There are some people who secretly believe, secretly believe. They come to a one God church, but they secretly believe that there's two. Or maybe three. God's going to judge those people. Those people who secretly believe. This is a monotheistic chapter, one God chapter, not two gods. He is equal to God. And he's showing you about what he's saying to these Jews. He's having a dialogue. They challenged him. They know what he's claiming. He's claiming to be equivalent to God. Are y'all here with me today? Woo, praise God. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. For as the Father hath life in himself, so hath he given to the Son to have life in himself. And hath given him authority to execute judgment also, because he is the Son of Man. So the, the, we talk about the Father, who are you talking about? God. We talk about the Son, who are you talking about? His humanity, right? Say amen. So that de the de his deity has given him the authority. He's not acting in his own authority. He's not acting in his own initiative. It is God in him who's doing this. God. You can believe it or not. Let me say it again. You can believe that Jesus is God or you can choose to believe or not believe that he's God. You can do that tonight. Are y'all here? Look at your neighbor and say, you can choose to believe that Jesus is God or you can choose not to believe. Because you're believing that he's God did not make him God. And you're choosing not to believe he's God will not make him cease to be God. You say, I believe he's God. You're believing that he's God didn't make that a reality. He's God whether you believe it or not. And you can say, I don't believe he's God. You say, I don't believe he's God. But just because you don't believe he's God is not going to cause it or cause it to cease to be in existence. My believing that he's God did not bring it into existence. Or if I don't believe he's God, will not cause it to cease to exist. He is God tonight, whether you believe it or not. It doesn't make it happen, nor does it stop it from happening. That's the way it is. Well, I believe he's the second person. You don't have Bible for that. He is equal with God. If he's separate from God, then you've got a problem with this chapter. Because what you have is two gods in competition with each other. The Bible says in verse 18, he's equal or the equivalent of God. And I said, well, Pastor, why do you have to try to, 
You're trying to make us believe it. You're trying to twist our arm. No, I'm not. I'm trying to give you the word of God so you'll understand. This is a Bible. Okay, let's read on a little further. Do you understand what I, what I mean by that? How many of y'all believe he's God? Well, praise the Lord. If, if you don't, you're going to go to hell. I can say that unequivocal. I can say that without doubt, without a shadow. If you do not believe that, if you do not believe that Jesus, Jesus Christ is God, you will die in your sin. Lest you believe that I am, Jesus said. If you don't believe that I am, Yahweh, Yahweh is I am. If you don't believe he's Yahweh, you will die in your sin. That's a fundamental doctrine. If you don't believe that he's God, it's not going to change him from being God. But it will determine where you spend eternity. So why are you preaching this, Pastor? Because if you don't believe what I'm telling you, you will die and go to hell. Because this is a fundamental doctrine that must be believed. Must be believed by you if you're going to be saved. It will not change it. But it will determine your destiny. If you don't believe he's God, if you just think he was an, uh, just a man, you will die in your sins. Now you know why this is so important? How many of y'all believe he's God? Or do you believe he's separate from God and he's in competition with God? Or he's another God? No, he is equal to God. My salvation depends on it. But I don't see it. You better, you better get a revelation. You better get in the word of God and you better start praying until God opens your blind eyes. Because that's the problem with the Jews he's speaking to. They claim to know the Bible. But they're lost. They are dead. They don't have life. They're not saved. But they know the Bible. So you better pray you get a revelation. Watch this. Okay, you ready? So, verse 26, For this father had, as the Father had life in himself, so hath he given to the Son to have life in himself. And he hath given him authority to execute judgment also, because he is the Son of Man. Say amen. amen. He came to save man. If man rejects him, he's going to judge him for that rejection. If they believe and are born again, then he's not going to judge him. Not to worry about it. Now watch. Verse 28. Marvel not at this. Marvel not at this. For the hour is coming in the which all that are in the graves shall hear his voice. The voice of the Son of Man. Do you see that? God is going to raise these people from the dead. You, if you die. Verse 29, and they shall come forth. They shall come forth. They that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. That does not mean that you're saved by your good works. That's Judaism. Not only did they miss, the, many of them missed that Jesus was the Messiah. They didn't understand that he would be God when he came. They also believed they could be saved by keeping the law without a blood sacrifice. Without, it, without Jesus Christ coming and dying for them. Do you understand that? When the apostles went preaching the gospel, they were accused of opposing the law of God. 
Okay? You read the book of Acts. They were opposed. They were uh, accused of preaching against the law of God and opposing the law of God. No, they didn't. They did not oppose the law of God. They didn't preach against the law of God. What they preached against was that the law could save you. That's what they preached against. You hear what I'm telling you? If they would read the law the way the law is supposed to be written, it would lead them to Jesus Christ, who is their sacrifice for sin, and they would be saved. That was the problem in the early church. And it still is today. The Jews still have a problem. Uh, they're trying to keep the law. They think by keeping the law, they can be saved. That's why Paul got by, beside himself in Galatians. I ain't going to get into that. Boy, he got to call them names. But I'm not going to do that tonight. You're not like that, are you? It was quiet in here. Say amen. amen. Verse 20. Do you understand what I'm telling you? Jesus is a fulfillment of it. If they had read it properly, they would understand. And he's going to get to that in a minute. Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in the which that they that are in the grave shall hear his voice and shall come forth. They that have done good unto the resurrection of life and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. That does not mean that they're saved by good works. When it says they that have done good, that means that they've obeyed the word of God. They've obeyed the gospel. Hallelujah. It was, doesn't mean you can be saved by your own good works. It means the good are people who've obeyed the gospel. Understand that? Yeah. Resurrection of life, and they have done evil. What's those? Those are going to reject the gospel. They've done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. And so, Revelation, the Bible talks about in Revelation chapter 20, the first part talks about the first resurrection of the dead. That is right before the kingdom age. The resurrection of the dead right before the kingdom age is the resurrection of the saved. And there's a blessing that's pronounced upon those who have part in the first resurrection on whom the second death, that means hell, hath no part. Don't have any part in that. Does that make sense? Then he goes down a little further and he talks about the great white throne judgment. That's after the thousand years. So when Jesus comes back after the tribulation period, that's when the first resurrection takes place. Right before the kingdom age. Does that make sense? In fact, I need to show it to you. Let's go over the Revelation 20. Because some people think that there's going to be a resurrection of people from the grave seven years before his second coming. They call it a pre-tribulation rapture. But when does the resurrection take place according to the Bible? Not according to your theology, according to the Bible. Does it happen seven years before his coming to the earth? Well, y'all are really quiet tonight. Y'all, did y'all want to have church tonight? Good. I, me too. I do too. I believe you want to have church. Those of you who came, who knows where everybody else is? They're doing their own thing. Revelation 20, look at it. 
I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold on that dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and the Satan, and bound him a thousand years. He cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till a thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a little season. And I saw thrones and they that sat upon them and judgment was given unto them. I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead Live not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no, there it is, power. It's not part, power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. So right before the kingdom age, when Jesus comes back to the earth, that's when he resurrects the dead. Not seven years before he comes, but when he comes back at the end of the seven years. That's when the first resurrection takes place. If the resurrection took place seven years before his coming, you would have a first resurrection pre-tribulationally, and then you would have another first resurrection right before the kingdom age. You don't have two first resurrections. You've got one first resurrection. The first resurrection takes place at the end of the seven year tribulation period, right before the thousand year, thousand year reign of Christ. And then after that thousand years, then you have the great white throne judgment, and that's the judgment that is upon the evil ones. Separated by a thousand years. Give the Lord praise. Oh, hallelujah. And it's Jesus that's coming back. It's Jesus that's going to judge. It's Jesus. That's going to raise the believers in the first resurrection. It's Jesus that's going to be on the great white throne judgment. And judge the wicked and the unbeliever. Oh, but God won't judge anybody. You better get that doctrine out of you. Or you're going to die and go to hell. God's going to judge you. You better start taking a stand for what you believe. You better start compromising with what you believe. You better take a stand for Jesus Christ. You better get a zeal about you. Now watch what he says. So Jesus. Bible says in verse 29. He shall come forth. They that have done good. Unto the resurrection of life. That's the first resurrection. At the beginning of the kingdom age. And they that have done evil. Unto the resurrection of damnation. That's the great white throne judgment. After the thousand years. Isn't that amazing? Verse 30. He said I can of my own self do nothing. As I hear I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of the Father which hath sent me. This is a self-limitation. He's limiting himself. He's letting you know in his humanity, he can do nothing. It's a self-limitation. He is depending on God who is in him for everything. He's not independent of God. He's equal to God. Amen. And if Jesus in his humanity had to be dependent on the Spirit of God, and he would, he, could, he would do nothing, he limited himself in his humanity. That way, that's what we should do. We should limit our humanity and say, I can't of myself do nothing. Give the Lord praise. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of the Father which hath sent me. Self-limitation on his humanity. 
Isn't this awesome? So as God, he has the, oh, he does the works of God. He does what God does. As God, he knows what God knows. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Give the Lord praise. As God, he raises the dead. As God, he judges the dead. As God, he's led by, are y'all here tonight? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not doing a real good job. But I'm doing my best. I pray you get it tonight. Now watch what he says. All right. He's going to stand in front of him. I know what the Bible says. I know what the law says. In the mouth of two or three witnesses, let everything be established. In the mouth of two or three witnesses. Say two or three witnesses. Right? What's he going to do? He said, all right, I've got witnesses. I've got witnesses about who I am. And he says, if I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. Some people will say, well, that means he's not God. If he says, I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. No, what he's saying is, according to the law, according to the word of God, you have to have two witnesses for anything to be established in a court. So a man cannot testify on his own behalf. He can, but that's not enough to stand up in court. You, you can stand up and you can testify on your behalf, but that's not going to be enough to stand up in court. So he says, all right, y'all say, praise the Lord, church. Okay, so you want proof as to who I am. And the Bible says in the mouth of two or three witnesses that everything be established, so we're going to work off of that principle. Okay? I know, he's saying, I know. I will say this. I will say this. I believe he could have testified of himself, and that would have been good enough. But he's going to let them know that he's got more than just himself. He's got witnesses that are going to declare who he is, is, who he is. The first one's going to be John. The next one's going to be his works. The next one's going to be his father. And the next one's going to be the scripture. And all of them are proven that he, he is who he is. The Messiah. Are y'all here tonight? And that he is God come in the flesh. Because, all right, watch, watch, watch. Here we go. Verse 32. He said, there's another that beareth witness of me, and I know that the witness which he witnesses of me is true. Who is this witness he's talking about? John. Remember in John chapter 1? John, are you the Messiah? No. He said, I'm not. Clearly. He said, I'm not the Messiah. Say amen. I love it. He testified of Jesus. He pointed people to Jesus. He told them Jesus was the Messiah. He clearly said he wasn't the Messiah. He said that Jesus is the Messiah. He witnessed to that reality. In a court of law. So we have John coming forth. Right? But Jesus is going to say, John, John, yeah, I'll receive his witness, but uh, I've got greater witnesses than John. Say amen. So we'll bring John to the forefront. He declares, I am the Messiah, right? Let me read it to you. He said, there's another that beareth witness of me, and I know that the witness which he witnesseth of me is true. He sent unto John, and he bear witness unto the truth. That's John chapter 1. But I receive not the testimony from man, but these things I say that you might be saved. Catch that? He's telling them what I'm what I'm doing, what I'm speaking to you right now, what I'm preaching to you right now is so that you can be saved. 
What happened to that man at the pool of Bethesda can happen to you, Israel. And what I'm telling you with my word, what's coming out of my mouth. See, the, the, what he said was as powerful as what he did. And they would believe what he said, it would bring them to salvation. Right? Okay, here we go. Let me back up. There is another that bears witness of me, and I know that the witness which he witnessed of me is true. He sent unto John, and he bear witness unto the truth. But I receive not the testimony from man, but these things I say that ye might be saved. He was a burning and shining light or lamp. Jesus is the light. John is the lamp. He was a burning and shining light, and you were willing for a season to rejoice in his light. For a while, you were going out to listen to John preach. And for a while, you were willing to accept what he was saying. But when he started pointing to me, and when he started saying that Jesus was the Messiah, because they were rejecting that message, they walked away from the light. Boy, give God some praise in the house. Hallelujah. See. There was a time they were excited about the word that was coming out of John's mouth. And for a while they received it and accepted the message. But until, until he started pointing to Jesus and telling him that Jesus is the Messiah. That's when they parted ways. Amen. Verse 35, he was a burning and shining light and you were willing for a season to rejoice in his life. I will tell you this and I could preach, I could preach the preachers on that one right there. You've got to be a burning and you've got to be a shining lamp. Jesus is the light, but you've got to be on fire. Give the Lord praise in the house. And John was that. And so now, but he goes on, he says, okay, I have a greater witness than that of John. Okay, we'll, re we'll receive that witness on, on, a on a level, that level. But he said, I've got a greater witness than John. This is the one he's going to go by. He says, look. <clears throat> For the works, say the works, which the Father hath given me to finish, the same works that I do bear witness of me that the Father hath sent me. He said, look at the works that I'm doing. Look at the man at the pool of Bethesda. This work, this is a sign that is telling you who I am. This miracle, this sign was done so that you would know I am the Messiah. I am God come in the flesh. Even Nicodemus said, no man can do these works that thou doest except God be with him. So even Nicodemus knew that these signs are telling me that Jesus is God. But he's not going to depend on signs alone. But he's telling you, look at John. John testified as a witness. And we're looking, look at the courtroom. John's there. He's witnessing on the behalf. And now we got the works. The man pulled up a Bethesda, right? Say praise God. The marriage feast of Canaan. The water turned to wine. He's going into the temple and, and driving the money changers out of there. Hallelujah. If you want to include that in the signs. Uh, the healing of the nobleman's son. All of these works are the testimony or the witness of who he is. He is the Messiah. So we got John. We got his works. And now he's going to go to the next one. His, the father that's in him. Okay. You're with me so far. Woo. Glory to God. 
Verse 36, but I have greater, I have greater, a greater witness, but I have greater witness than that of John. For the words which the Father hath given me to finish, the same works that I do bear witness of me that the Father hath sent me. And the Father himself which hath sent me hath borne witness of me. He said, the Father himself hath borne witness of me. You remember when he was baptized? John was baptizing him in water. And the Bible said, now he had the Spirit of God in him always. There was never a time he didn't have the Spirit of God in him. But there was a vision that, that John saw. Uh, the Spirit of God that was in Jesus Christ took on the form of a dove. And it came and sat on him. Uh, came down. And so the Bible says, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Say, in whom. So the eternal spirit of God, which is omnipresent, you can't limit the omnipresence of God. The Bible says, God speaking outside of that body said, I'm in that body right there. So the father bore witness to who he was. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear ye Kill. Hear it. Hear it. So the Father bore witness to the Son. Give God praise in the house. So you're looking for witnesses in this court. You're trying to judge me. He said, I got John, but I don't have, I'm not going to go by John. He said, I'm going to go by the works. Let's look at the works. He said, no, I have a greater witness than that. I've got the witness of the Father. The Father said, this is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. They heard the voice from heaven. Give God praise in the house. Woo. Hallelujah. So watch this. Verse 37. And the Father himself which hath sent me hath borne witness of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his shape. And you have not his word abiding in you for whom he has sent him ye believe not. Jesus looks at them and he tells them, well, you boy, you talk about strong. He is really challenging them. He's coming against them. He's letting them know. If you look at it, he says, ye have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his shape. He's speaking to them. Moses heard his voice. And they claimed to be followers of Moses. Moses heard his voice. Jacob saw his form. He saw him standing on the top of the ladder. They claimed to be the descendants of Jacob. They claimed to be uh, followers of Moses. Moses heard the voice of God. And Jacob saw the form of God. That means he saw God manifest himself in a visible way. But Jesus looking at these men. <laughs> these religious men. I started to call them reprobates. That's pretty much. I'm not going to say reprobate because that means they could never be saved. But anyway, at this point, they're lost. Okay, he's telling them, "Ye have not heard his word." Oh, hallelujah! Are you with me? You have not neither heard his voice at any time, nor seen his shape. What's he saying to them? That he is the voice of God, and they haven't heard him. They're like the man, the pool of Bethesda, who gets up with his bed and walks off, and they ask him, "Who, who is it that did this?" I don't know. 
That man didn't know who he was. Give God praise. These people didn't know who he was. Jesus gives a revelation to the man, leads him in the temple of who he is. But when he says, you have never, never heard his voice, he's letting them know that he's the voice of God. And they're not listening to him. Nor seen his shape. You haven't seen his form. I'm standing right in front of you. God manifest in a visible form. And you still don't see that I'm God. You don't hear that I'm God. And you don't see that I'm God. Give the Lord praise in the house. You get that? He's letting them know. I am God speaking to you. I am God standing in front of you. But you don't hear me and you don't see me. Watch. And then he says, and you have not his word abiding in you. He says, if his word was abiding in you, if you were interpreting the scripture and reading the scripture the way they were supposed to be read and interpreted, if that word was abiding in you, you would believe in me because the written word is pointing to the living word. Hallelujah to the Lamb. You cannot separate the written word from the living word. The written word is pointing to the living word standing right in front of them. And so they haven't heard his voice. They haven't seen his form. They don't recognize that he's God come in the flesh. They don't, yeah, you claim to be equal with God, but we don't see it. We reject that. We don't hear your voice. We don't see the form of God. And it is because they don't have the word abiding in them. Give the Lord praise in the house. They study the scripture, but they're not relating the scripture to the living word that's standing in front of them. They're not relating the written word with the living word. They're not hearing that he's God. They're not seeing that he's God. You understand that? You cannot, if you reject the word of God, you're rejecting God. You are rejecting him outright. Now watch. Here we go. Jesus, I love you today. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Now watch. You have not his word abiding in you. For whom he has sent him, ye believe not. If the word of God, the written word of God, was really abiding in you, you would not be rejecting the living words. And you would know that the voice is speaking to you is God. And you would know the one standing in front of you is God manifest in a form before you. A form of visibility. Give the Lord some praise in the house. But you don't hear Jesus. You don't see Jesus. The word of God is not abiding in you. Oh boy. Now watch what he says. For whom he has sent him you believe not. Get it? They, went, they didn't believe in him. God sent him in his humanity. They didn't believe in him. So therefore, they are rejecting the very word of God because the written word is testifying of the living word, Jesus Christ. You see that? You can't have it both ways. You can't have it both ways. You can't say you have the word of God, but you love the word of God, and say and reject Jesus Christ. You can't. You can't reject the written word and say you love Jesus Christ. You can't reject the written word and say that you have not rejected Jesus. 
Because the written word points to the living word. And the living word is revealed in the written word. Do you understand what I'm telling you? All right, now watch what Jesus said. He says something very powerful to them. Okay? Fourth witness, the scripture. The scripture. The first one's John. The second one is his works. The third one is the Father. The fourth one is the scripture. But he says, you don't have the word or the scripture abiding in you because the scripture testifies of me. The scripture witnesses of me. The written word declares the living word. But because you're rejecting the living word, that means that you do not have the written word inside of you. The scripture is a witness to who he is. Give the Lord praise in the house. So when you reject the living word, you're rejecting the scripture. If you reject the scripture, you're rejecting the living word. They go together. You see that? Now look at verse 39. You all there? Search the scriptures. For in them ye think ye have eternal life. And they are they which testify me. He said, this is the next witness. He said, the scriptures testify me. I want you to read, look at this. Okay, we've looked at all these, these reasons why he's equal with God. At that time, what's he going to do in the future? Now, we have the witnesses that declare who he is. That what he just told them is the truth. He's got witnesses to back up what he just told them is the truth. It can be backed up in a court of law. And he's going, now he's going to the level of the scripture as a witness. So watch this very carefully. Search the scriptures. For in them ye think ye have eternal life. And they are they which testify of me. Watch this. He's not. It's not coming across like this. He's not saying. Search the scriptures. He's not saying. You need to search the scriptures. What he's telling them is. Search the scriptures. All right, for in them ye think ye have eternal life. What he's saying is, I know you search the scriptures. That's what he's saying. He's not telling them to search the scriptures. He's telling them they do search the scriptures. Oh, wow. But in their searching of the scriptures, the written word, they're not relating the written word with the living word. That's why they're missing it. Jesus is saying, search, okay, search the scriptures for in them you think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. What he's telling them is, I know you search the scriptures, and you think, you think that, listen to me carefully, all you handsome people, pretty, whatever, look up here, I'm trying to help you. Some of you tonight, Maybe in this church, and you think that all you need is a knowledge of the Bible, and your knowledge of the Bible saves you. It does not. You can know the Bible, you can quote it, you can memorize it, you can search it daily and still be lost. They search the scriptures for in doing the searching. They thought simply in doing the searching of the scriptures that that produced salvation. So the more time they spent in Torah, the more time they spent 
in instruction of God, the law, they believed the more salvation they had. So they spent a lot of time in searching the scriptures. He's not telling them to do it. He's telling them, I know that you do it. And you think the more that you spend time searching the scriptures, that that's producing salvation. And the more time you spend in Torah, the more saved you become. But the scripture is not what, are y'all with me? The letter alone is not what saves you. Give God praise in the house. Just a knowledge of the Bible will not save you. Because, watch what he says. Search the scriptures for them. You think you have eternal life. And they are they which testify me. You think the letter saves you. But, ye will not come to me that you might have life. He said, I know you search the scriptures and you think by doing that, that gives you life. He said, you will not come to me that you might have life. So that means you're dead. You've spent all that time searching the scriptures. And you thought because you searched the scriptures that you are saved and alive. He said, but you won't come to me that you might have life. That means they've searched the scriptures, but they're still dead. Because in the searching of the scripture, they did not relate the written word with the living word that's standing in front of them. If they had read the written word correctly, if they had interpreted, interpreted the written word correctly, then when the living word came to them, they would not have rejected him. But because they read it wrong and interpreted it wrong, when he came, they rejected the living word. So they, listen to me, these religious leaders, here's their problem. They had a knowledge of the written word, but they didn't relate the written word to the living word. The problem, and I want to throw this in, the problem with the disciples is they recognized the living word, but didn't relate the living word to the written word. Therefore, they could not understand what Jesus was doing. Jesus confused them, his own disciples. And I'm not saying that they were theologically ignorant. I'm not saying they were ignorant of the word of God. I'm just telling you that, are y'all here tonight? There were times that they couldn't figure Jesus out, his own disciples. Hallelujah. Praise God, church. And they did not until after his resurrection. And after the resurrection, then they said, oh, now we know what Abraham meant when he said this. Oh, now we know what Joel meant when he said this. Say amen. Now, oh, yeah, hallelujah to the Lamb. Oh, yeah, now we know what Isaiah was saying. In Isaiah 7, 14, uh, you know, behold, a virgin shall be with child. And that virgin, that word virgin means it. An absolute virgin, not just a, a woman, but an absolute virgin, somebody who never knew a man. Say praise the Lord. Oh, I wish I had time today to really get into that one. But behold, a virgin shall be with child, conceive me with child. Are y'all with me? What, what is she going to give birth to? Somebody get it for me. Get it, Isaiah 7, 14. 
Read it for me. Isaiah 7, 14. Behold, a virgin shall be with child. Read. Anybody. I don't care who it is. Therefore, the Lord himself shall show you a sign. Read. Behold, a virgin shall what? Conceive and what? Bear a son. And what? And shall call his name Emmanuel. What does that mean? God with us. Say praise the Lord. Let me go back to these religious leaders. If you would take that written word that you spend so much time in, you would have known where he would be born. Micah 5 said he'd be born in Bethlehem. If you would have taken that written word, you would have known who he is. Emmanuel, God with us. If you would have taken that written word and applied it correctly, you would have known what Abraham said. He rejoiced to see my day. Oh, give the Lord some praise in the house. When he saw the lamb, the ram caught in the thicket. He saw Calvary. I'm just telling you that if these people had taken the written word and applied it correctly to the living word, they would have known where to be born. They would have known who he would be when he would come. They, are y'all with me today? They would know he would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. Zechariah chapter 11. Say amen. amen. All they had to do was go to the written word. And the written word would tell you exactly what the living word would do. But So they searched the scripture. They thought just searching the scripture brought salvation. But they missed Jesus. Because they missed the living word. His disciples on the other hand had the living word. But they don't relate the living word to the written word. So when Jesus does certain things, it doesn't make sense to them. But I'm telling you, after his resurrection, then they took that Old Testament and they said, this is what it means. They weren't preaching against it. They weren't in opposition to it. They said, this is how to read it. This is how to interpret it. But it wasn't until after his resurrection that his disciples even understood the living word. So what you have to understand is the written word and the living word together. Amen. Say amen. The written word must be related to the living word and the living word must be related to the written word. You can't separate the two. Say hallelujah to the Lamb. Some of you may know the living word, Jesus Christ, but because you don't know the written word, when Jesus comes a certain way, you can't understand it because you have not related the living word to the written word. And there's some people who have a knowledge of the Bible, but they still don't have a revelation that Jesus is God because they don't apply the written word to the living words. What Jesus is telling them, all you got to do is look it up. Look it up. Look up the written word. It'll tell you who I am. Look it up. The scriptures testify. The scriptures witness. Look up Isaiah 11. Look up Micah 5. Look up Joel. All y'all with me today. Just look it up. Just look it up. Just look it up. That's all I had to do. So the scriptures for them. You think you have eternal life. They are they would testify me. He said, look it up. You thought just studying the Bible would save you. He said, no. He said, the whole Bible was pointing to me. On every page. I'm not smart enough to know. But Jesus is on every page of that Old Testament. Every page. It, it is possible. I don't know how. But it is possible that he's in every verse. And it might be possible that Jesus is in every word. And so they got a head knowledge 
of reading the Bible, reading the scriptures, but it's not abiding in him. Because the living one is standing right in front of them and they can't see him or hear him. You think they wanted to hear that that day? Nah. Blind. He's basically telling them you're completely blind. You are completely blind. And you're deaf. You've never heard his voice. And you've never seen his form. Give the Lord praise. You will not come to me that you might have life. That means they're dead. I receive not honor from men. I'm fixing to close. That's, you wonder why I'm going so fast? I got almost 40 verses I've had to cover here tonight. Well, I want you to see this. Look at the way Jesus is handling them. He does not look at them and say, well, it doesn't look like I'm doing a very good job. So, you know, no. He gets stronger. He gets stronger with them. He doesn't get weaker. He gets strong with these people. You know, he said, you're dead. You're not saved. You know, you need to come to me, right? You search the scriptures and you think by searching that you have life. He said, but you're not alive. You're dead. You need salvation. You need to come to me to be saved. The word of God is not abiding in you. He's creating. I'll tell you what. It's getting hot. If you could put yourself in that moment. These people are ready to rip him limb from limb. They are ready to kill him. And do you think he's going to back down? I'm going to show you how he responds to him. You think he's concerned about what they think about him? No. He said, I receive not honor from men. I'm not looking, he said. Not only did he not, he didn't just say, I'm not looking for honor from men. He said, I receive not honor from men. You know what he means by that? He was, Jesus Christ, God does not receive honor from the sinner. He doesn't receive it. You know why he doesn't receive honor from the sinner? Because the sinner worships idols. They, because they worship other gods. He's equal to God. He is God. He doesn't receive the honor of the sinner because the sinner has more than one God in his life. Oh God, I feel the Holy Ghost fire burning in me. So I'm just going to say it. All these fools. That's a bunch of foolishness. God does not receive that foolishness. Because they're idol worshipers. They put their idols next to God. God does not receive that honor from the sinner because they're worshiping more than one God. And he's telling them, he is God. He'll receive honor from the saint because the saint knows he's God. But he will not receive honor from the sinner because they have idols in their life. They worship other gods. Talk about how they love God. I just love God. Won't give him the time of day. These, these men right here. 
These religious fools standing in front of him right there won't give Jesus the time of day. When they have an opportunity, they're going to get together to kill him. He said, you're thinking I'm looking for your honor? He said, I don't even receive your honor. If you were to respect me, he said, I don't receive it. Because you don't worship me as God. You don't worship one God. You worship the God of your imagination. You are religious. He said, I'm not after that honor. He doesn't receive it. Say, he doesn't receive it. Give the Lord praise in the house. Woo. But I know you. That you have not the love of God in you. He said, I know you. Look at him back down. He said, I'm not standing here because I want you to honor me. He said, I don't receive the honor of men. You are idol worshipers. You don't worship God. You don't know God. You don't have the love of God in you. Come on, somebody. Give the Lord praise in the house. Son. Let me just let you in on something tonight. You can't love something you don't know about. You can't love someone that you don't know anything about. That's why you got to get in this Bible. If you're going to love God, you got to get in this Bible so you know who He is. You can't love what you don't know. You can't love who you don't know. You got to get in this written word so you know who you love. He said, my word abide, doesn't abide in you. He said, you have not the love of God. He said, you don't love God. Oh, little gentle Jesus. Oh, you religious hypocrite standing in front of me right now. You're a religious hypocrite. Oh, love Jesus. The love of God. The love of God, right? He said, you don't have the love of God in you. You don't know God. Come on, somebody. I wish I had somebody that would take a stand for what they believe. I'm sick and tired of the phony fake. Give me some people that know the Bible and that know Jesus Christ. Well, you know, I think I'm going to go to church. I want to honor God. He doesn't want your honor. You don't have any intention of living for Him. You have no intention of believing Him. You have no intention of walking with Him. You got God's idols on every shelf. You are your own God. You are religious. And I don't need that, Jesus said. Give God praise in this house. Foolishness. Foolishness. Absolute, total foolishness. Oh, oh, we're going to cry. Jesus, uh, the Bible says Jesus carried his cross up to Golgotha's hill. The scripture says the women, they were there crying. <laughs> Jesus carrying the cross. <laughs> they were on the side, standing there on the side of the street crying. Jesus looks up at them and says, weep. Not for me, but weep for yourself and your sheep. He said, judgment's fixing to hit this place. He said, don't cry for me. Don't feel sorry for me. I'm not looking for you to feel sorry for me. He said, cry for yourself and cry for your children. 
He's not seeking their pity. He's not seeking their honor. Hallelujah today. He's seeking their obedience. He's seeking them. Believe it in him. He's seeking their obedience to his word. No wonder Paul got so beside himself. He said, you foolish Galatians. Philip's translation. Yes, that's a stupid, stupid people. How you do that? Why would you do There's coming a time when God is going to judge the hypocrites. If there's any among us today, God is going to judge you. Say, well, I don't think Jesus would do that. Really? Yeah, he would. I received the honor again. Give the Lord some praise in the house. And I will tell you tonight, if you really walk with the Lord Jesus Christ and you're really serving, you've got to get that mentality. I receive not the honor of men. I don't care if you like me or you don't like me. I'm following Jesus. You can talk good about me or you can talk bad about me. I receive not the honor of men. You're an idol worshiper. You don't love God. You don't have the love of God in you. The word of God's not abiding in you. That's coming out of the mouth of Jesus Christ. He seeks the honor from his saints. He doesn't seek the honor that comes out of the mouth of the sinner. I want to honor God. So I want to go to church. You probably brought more judgment on yourself than you did good. Not just going to church. Oh, the Apostle Paul said, sometimes you need, he said, for the worse and not the better. He said, you come to church, he said, sometimes it's for the worse and not the better. He said, it, Paul said, it's been better for you to stay at home, you bunch of hypocrites. You see, what I'm trying to show you, he's not backing down because of their opinion of him. He doesn't care about their opinion. You can't care about the opinion of that person that's in the world that doesn't walk with God. you If you get to a place where you care about their opinions more than you care about what God says, you've got big problems on your hands. Just look at it. Jesus is not looking for honor from you. He's looking for, for honor from me. Because I'm a believer. Some of you that need to wake up. I'm telling you tonight in the Holy Ghost, some of you need to wake up because you are really, really confused. You are twisted in your understanding. Why would you say that, Pastor? Because it's reality, man. I know you that you have not the love of God. You understand what I'm trying to tell you? How many people claim? People on television tonight claim to be preaching to honor Jesus Christ. Nothing but idolatry. Preachers. People in the churches. People claiming I'm giving honor to Jesus. He don't want your praise. He wants your obedience. Obedience is better than your sacrifice. He's not seeking your pity. He's not seeking your honor. 
He's seeking to honor God. He decided that he chose as a man to please God. He said, I'm coming in my father's name and you receive me not. If another shall come in his own name, him you will receive. The name that he came in reveals that he's God. Mary did not give him his name. Mary, his mother, didn't say, well, I wonder what we're going to name this baby. And let's think, let's read, let's look at all the books, all the, the books that have the names of all babies. Let's read through the books and find what jumps out to us. That's what we're going to name it. Mary did not name Jesus. He received his name by inheritance from the Father. Which means he has the same name as the Father. Because he is the Father. When Mary said, you are Jesus. That is the name of the Father. So because he has the name of the Father by inheritance, that means when you say Jesus, you're saying that he is the Father. His name is telling you he is Yeshua or Yahweh's Savior. He's telling His name's telling you that God has come in flesh to save you. He is God. He came to save you. He came to die. He came to rise again. He's coming back to judge the quick and the dead. His name tells you who he is. He said, I'm coming in my father's name and you receive me not. Another will come in his own name. Him you will receive. When the Antichrist rises to power, you will bow to the Antichrist. You reject Jesus Christ, you will bow to the Antichrist. He'll come in his own name and you'll bow down and worship him. You'll take the mark of the beast. Not just the Antichrist, but all, all the false messiahs throughout all history who have ever come in time because they rejected Jesus Christ. They were duped in the following false messiahs. Slaughtered by the hundreds. Slaughtered by the thousands because they followed false messiahs. And ultimately the Antichrist. You know who's going to be the biggest worshiper of the Antichrist? The charismatic church. Catholicism. Islam. All systems of religion. That's who's going to be the, the chief worshipers of the Antichrist. The rejectors that Jesus is called. They're going to bow down. I'm telling you the professing church are going to be the ones that are going to bow to the Antichrist. You better know what you believe and you better believe what you know. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Because when it really gets down to it, my friend, there's going to be a lot of people who betray the Lord Jesus Christ. They're going to turn their backs on him and they're going to worship the Antichrist. You better get prayed through. You better get your mind straightened out. I'm, I'm telling you right now, Jesus is not, well, well, we hope you live for God. You better hope you live for God. I said, you better hope you live for God. I can't make you live for God. You better hope you live for God. I did God a favor by going to church and I did, did God a favor by bringing my tithe. Did God, I did God a favor. What are you talking about? 
He's not seeking the honor of men. He's seeking the honor of his saints. People who know he's one God. People who know that Jesus is God. Not somebody that's got an idol God sitting beside Jesus Christ. Not somebody praying, praying to everybody, all the saints. Jesus, help me today. Help me to preach today. Fire. You're not called to condone and, and accept that. You're condoned to stand up. You're not looking. Talking to Brother Edmonds uh, yesterday. He said that I'm coming to a close. He told me something I didn't know. I'll talk to you about certain ministers. He told me something about Billy Graham I didn't know. He told me that Ruth Graham received the baptism of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking with other tongues. And Ruth Graham told her husband, Billy Graham, he says, you need the baptism of the Holy Ghost. You need the Holy Ghost speaking with other tongues. And Billy Graham says, no. He said, I don't want it. He said, because if I receive it, it will affect my influence. He rejected. Ruth Graham said, no, you need it. He said, no, I can't. It'll affect my influence. He's seeking the honor of men. Jesus Christ doesn't seek the honor of men. Are y'all hearing me today? He didn't come to tickle your ears. He didn't come to tickle my ears. He called me to repent. He called me to obey. Look at, what, oh, look at all the good work he's doing. Really? What is wrong with you? Maybe at first, when you first come to church, you know, you get through the Holy Ghost and you watch that stuff and you start crying. That's because you know God. And you really love God. And you're really saved. And so when you hear that, it affects you. And all those people are coming down here. So-called accepting Jesus as their Savior. The question is not, do you accept Him? The question is, does He accept you? Does He accept you? That's the question. I am come in my Father's name, and you receive me not. If another shall come in his own name, him you will receive. I will tell you tonight that this Jesus does not need this preacher behind this pulpit to defend him. So I, there's no way I could ever defend him. But I can preach him. And I can preach him in truth, and I can preach him in righteousness, and I can preach him in holiness. But he don't need me to defend him. I have a zeal for him. Amen. I have a zeal for truth. Amen. Verse 44. How can you believe which receive honor one from another and seek not the honor that cometh from God only? That's the problem. 
with the modern day church, not just the Jews, not just the Jews, but all people that are like them. Going after the honor of men instead of the honor of God. People pleasers, men pleasers, instead of God pleasers. Yeah, I believe in God. Oh, yeah. I'll, I'll take a stand as long as it don't cause me any problems. As long as it don't cause me any rejection. You take a stand. Now, I'm not accusing you. I'm just telling you if I'm speaking to you and you're that person. Okay? You take a stand. You're on fire. You love God. You're bold. You're men and women of truth until you seek the honor of men. And if you're rejected, ooh, I better back down, son. Because they're not going to like me. Friend, Jesus said, I'm not seeking the honor of men. He said, I'm seeking the honor of God. The honor of God. Hallelujah to the Lord. He's not backing down from them. He's not stepping back. He's stepping up. This is a confrontational Jesus that's in this Bible. Some of you don't have that concept about Jesus. Jesus was a confrontational Jesus. You go through this book. I think just about every chapter, you're going to find some confrontational Jesus. And we talk about, yeah, we're on fire. What's the last confrontation you had? Ungodliness all around you. Yeah, I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to go with the flow here. Confrontational Jesus. Friend, that miracle set up a dialogue and a challenge by religious leaders. And he put them in their place. He put, they were backing up on their heels when he got done with them. What you have to do is you have to walk in the anointing. Because if you don't, your flesh gets sentimental. Flesh. Pleasers of men. Flesh pleasing flesh. Don't want to stir up any trouble. Don't want to rock the boat, you know. You know, everything's going pretty good. If I say something, man, oh, I could stir up something here. Flesh. That's why you have to. That's why all of us have to stay anointed. Because if we don't, in our flesh, we get fleshy. And we start talking fleshy. We start trying to relate to people on a flesh level. You get anointed, you'll get bold. You get anointed, you'll get bold, and you'll get confrontational with those who are rejecting him and rejecting his deity. There are those that are foreordained to this condemnation. There are some people who will not be saved. They will not be saved. They refuse to repent, my friends. There are some who cannot repent. There are some who are past repentance. They're reprobate. They are foreordained to this condemnation, Jude said. 
So why won't they live for God? Here's my example. I'm talking to them. They're foreordained to this condemnation. They rejected God and his word so long they are dead. And if you're not careful, apply it to your own life. But they do something for your kids. Or they do something for your family. Hey, he's a pretty nice old boy. He's a hell-bound sinner without Jesus Christ. And don't you ever forget it. If you're sick of the honor of men, if they can buy you, and they can bring a gift to your kids, are you hearing me today? That's all it takes. Oh, he's a pretty good old boy. Look what he does for my kids. He's a hell-bound sinner, my friend. And don't you forget it. Hallelujah to the Lord. If you're not careful, you'll get to a place where you get comfortable with what the situation is. Hallelujah. You get comfortable with darkness and death and sin. Well, yeah, not so bad. You know, look what he did for my kids. Still the same devil. You're not careful. You start taking on that spirit of that individual because you open the door. I'm not trying to get on to you tonight. I'm just telling you, we better get anointed. We have got to get anointed. Watch. How can you believe? Which receive honor one of another and seek not the honor that comes from God only. The fleshly pleasures of flesh. Don't know God. Read the Bible day and night. Lost as they can be. Justifying themselves. Who is it? It has enough of God. But when it really comes down to it, and you suffer loss, or you suffer relationships, or you suffer things... Because of your walk with Jesus Christ, you say goodbye. I'll let it go for the sake of Jesus Christ. See, it's one thing to talk about how the Word of God abides in us, how many of you love God, and we're the children of God. These people thought they were saved. These people thought they knew God. These people thought they loved God. These people thought they knew the Scriptures. These people thought they were knew the Messiah when He came. No one all accounts. How about you? How about you? Brother Emmons told me, you know, he told me before his mother passed away, he told me that today, he said she pointed, pointed her finger at him. Just like that. He tried to talk to her about her need. She put that old finger at him, 80-something years old. He said, I've got two months to live. Brother Edmund said, you know, she was so sure she had two months to live, she only had one month to live. She, she didn't make two months, but she was sure she had two. And he told me, he said, you know, it's interesting. He said, I would never say that. He was 80-something years old. He's 65. He said, I would never say I've got X amount of days to live. 
Because I don't know what tomorrow is. She said, I got two months to live. She wasn't much more. You wouldn't tell me. She's wondering, I know Jesus. I'm going to heaven. Are you wrong? Are we really? How can we believe in him if we seek the honor of men? If we seek the honor of the sinner, if we want the sinner to talk good about us and not to persecute, not to reject, not to rise up, not to fight, how can we believe in him? If they persecuted Jesus Christ and they tried to kill him, he said, you can expect the same thing. Want to get set with me? He did not back down, friends. He wasn't afraid to get set. He came to save men on God's terms, not theirs. They'll never forget it. And you stand up to me and say, I'm going to heaven. Really? I feel sad. I know I'm saved. Really? You're in the process of being saved. I said, you're in the process of being saved, but you're not saved. Oh, some of y'all looking at me like, oh, no, I'm talking about an ultimate sense. You're going to be saved when you walk through the gates and the gates slam behind your back. So you're like, well, I'm saved. Really? Really? you saved? What is salvation? In the ultimate sense, when you get there. And until you get there, who, who among us can say, I'm saved. I know I'm going to heaven. You'd be surprised who you're going to see in heaven. And you're going to be surprised who you see in hell. The very people said, I'm saved. I love God. I know God. Go ahead, put him in heaven. Try to put yourself in heaven. How are you going to put yourself in heaven? I can't put myself in heaven. Come on. Search the scriptures for in them ye think ye have eternal life. They are they which testify in me. But you will not come to me that you might be saved. You think because you got a knowledge of the Bible, you're saved. said, so you are lost as you can possibly be. Going through life trying to please people. Waste of time. What's reality? The trap rapture comes or I die. The reality it will be at that moment. That's what reality is. It's not, not what I see tonight. It's not what I see tonight. And not what you see tonight. That grave. That old, that old casket. There's no movement there now. That's reality. Are you saved tonight? Are you saved tonight? Do you care enough about your own soul to be saved? How about the lost around us? When's the last? How many? How long? Is, oh Lord, I, I, I'm not supposed to preach this tonight. I'm not supposed to be bringing practical application. I'm just supposed to bring exegesis, but I'm preaching practical application.
How long have you been in the church? How many people have you won to Jesus Christ? How many Bible studies have you taught? Ask yourself these questions. Some of you have been in the church for years and never have taught a Bible study. Can you claim to be saved? Oh, pastor used to say it this way. He said, there's going to be some people in heaven They never want a soul to Jesus Christ. He said, there'll be some in heaven that never want a soul to Jesus Christ. He said, I don't believe there'll be anybody in heaven that didn't try to win a soul to Jesus Christ. What's your scripture for that? The Bible talks about this one begot this one, this one begot this one, this one begot this one, this one begot this one. The Lamb's Book of Life is the genealogy of Jesus Christ. This one begot this one, and this one begot this one, and this one begot this one. If you're in the genealogy of Jesus Christ, you should be begetting somebody in the kingdom. And if you haven't begotten anybody in the kingdom, how can you be in a gener generational generational cycle? He said, there'll be some in heaven who tried to win souls and didn't win souls. He said, I don't believe there'll be anybody in heaven who never tried to win a soul. But we're saved. We're saved. We can rebel against the word of God. We can reject the word of God. We can do whatever we want to do. We thank him. But we're saved. Let's seek the honor of men. He seeks the honor of his saints. He doesn't seek the praise of men. He seeks the praise of his saints. Are you a saint? What's in my heart? What's in your heart tonight? Okay, yeah, here we go. Well, good. I don't mean that in a self-righteous way. When I say whatever. Reality is reality. Jesus said in one place, except your righteousness exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees, you cannot be saved. And there's some sitting here right now, you can't even get close to their shoe latching. And you're saved. Your righteousness exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees. Ah, uh, yeah, you want to execute that? You want, me, you want to get a theological debate with me? I know it takes a new birth to be saved. And many of them weren't saved because they weren't born again. But I'm telling you, he said, except your righteousness exceed, righteousness, exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees, you cannot be saved. Are you saved? Am I saved? How can you believe which receive the honor one of another and seek not the honor that cometh from God only? Who are you trying to please tonight? Who is really your God tonight? Who is your God tonight? Who can back you down? Who can put you on your heels? Who can cause you to squirm about what you believe? 
You should be telling them. Now, Jesus doesn't receive the honor. And that's what I'm about. Okay? And they're going to fight you. And they're going to hate you. And they're going to try to kill you. Because they reject the Lord. That's why. Because if they really love God, they'd love you. Hallelujah to the Lord. You know why I love Brother Edmund so much? Because he loves God. He loves God. And I, I say, I love God. My love for God causes me to love you. My love for God causes me to love you. I know some of you say, well, I'm just lovable anyway, Pastor. You know, you're going to love me because I'm just lovable. Really? You don't know how much God it takes for you to love me. And for me to love you, how much God it takes. Amen. Who do you love more? Who's more important in your life? You have God's in your life. He doesn't receive the honor. I'll read it again. How can you believe which receive honor one of another and seek not the honor that cometh from God only? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one that accuseth you, even Moses, in whom you trust. He said, The scripture testifies of me. You claim to be followers of Moses and you claim to be keepers of the law of Moses and you claim that the law by keeping the law, you're going to be saved. Moses spoke of Jesus Christ and if you're rejecting him who Moses spoke about, you are rejecting Moses. You get into a debate with a Jewish person who doesn't believe that Jesus is the Messiah, Jesus is God, and they, well, I, we believe in the law of Moses. No, you don't. You do not believe in the law of Moses. Because if you believed in the law of Moses, then you would believe in Jesus Christ. Amen. If you reject him, you reject the law of Moses. Because the law of Moses spoke of him. You can't have it both ways. You are not a true believer if you reject Jesus Christ. You are not saved if you reject Jesus Christ. But I keep the law of God. I'm a follower of Moses. No, you're not. You're a liar. Do not think I will accuse you to the Father. There is one that accuses you, even Moses, in whom ye trust. He said, on judgment day, the law of Moses is going to stand up an outrageous accusation against you. You claim to be trusting the law of Moses. God, Jesus said, the law of Moses is going to stand up an outrageous accusation against you. Thank you, Billy. He said, I, I don't want him to have to judge you. He said, the one you claim to be following is going to judge you. You claim to be followers of Moses. You're not followers of Moses because he's the one that spoke to you. For had you believed Moses, you would have believed me. For he wrote it. Jew. I'm Hispanic Jew. 
I'm not anti-Semitic. I'm telling you at that moment, he's dealing with Jewish religious leaders, religious people. I'm telling you, anybody that's like him will fall under the same accusation. The world that rejects him. Well, I want to search my genealogy to see I might be a Jew. Jew? What, in the physical, in the natural? Moses is not a Jew outwardly, but inwardly. And circumcision is not of the flesh, but that which is of the heart. You're looking at a Jew spiritually. I don't care you come from. Bloss, come over to me. I right, guess what, Pastor? I found out what? Well, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Jew. I'm a Sephardic Jew. Give me five. Praise the Lord. God doesn't care about any of that. Absolutely nothing about that. Are you a Jew anyway? Are you a worshiper? A Jew is a descendant of Judah. Worshippers. You can't be a Jew without being a worshiper of God in spirit and in truth. That's a true Jew. It's a worshiper of God in spirit and in truth. But they didn't read the Bible correctly. And they didn't interpret the Bible correctly. And they thought just reading it was enough to save them. They read it wrong. And they interpreted it wrong. Who cares what you are physically? I should have took a nap before I came to church. I'm not in a very good mood tonight, am I? My wife told me. She prophesied to me. She said, you need to take a nap before you go to church. I'm sorry. I should have took a nap before I came to church tonight. I'm not joking. Something bugging me tonight. Oh, pray, Pastor, that, that stretch forth your hands and God deliver Pastor that bug. <laughs> Foolish! You think God is pleased? Yeah. He's grieved. Spirit. For had you believed Moses, you wouldn't have believed me, for he wrote in me. But if you believe not his writings, how shall you believe my words? The scriptures were written to reveal the living word to you. And you don't relate the living word to the written word. You're not a true believer. You're not a true Jew. The law. So he's speaking this to them to explain this to them so that they might be saved. So they'd come to him. They kept claiming Moses. We follow Moses. We keep the law. They still do today. Why the Jews don't believe in Jesus. They say Paul made up this religion. They say his disciples were even confused about who he was. They say that he wasn't God. They say today, the Jews say today, that the Bible doesn't say the Messiah would be God. Really? They're just like this and nothing else. They read the scriptures daily. 
Let him daily. But as dead as I could possibly be. He's equal with God. He is equivalent with God. He is not another God. He is not in competition with God. He is the same God of the Old Testament. That God of judgment. He's a God of mercy. He's a God of love. He came to save us. But it was going to take a blood sacrifice. It wasn't going to take just believing in the letter and reading the Bible to get your soul saved. It was going to take his death. It was going to take a bloody sacrifice to redeem man. And they rejected him. That God of the Old Testament, and I'm coming to a close. Why do you think when Israel started making their way to the promised land, God said, kill them. Wipe them out. Don't spare any. Why would God do that? He's a God of love. You know why? Because those people in that land of Canaan were reprobates. God knew they could not be saved. You thank God Listen, I'm coming to a close tonight. You've been wonderful. But do you think God, if he knew those people, Brother Patrick, could be saved? Knowing God. You think if they could have been saved, that God had just said, kill them? I tell you that when he looked at those cultures, cultures, idol worshippers, Full of venereal disease. The bones of those babies were found and venereal disease in their bones. Why did God say wipe them out? He knew they had crossed the line. He knew that they couldn't be saved. There are some people that will not and cannot be saved. They've gone so far. And many of them were standing there looking at Jesus Christ that day in their long religious robes. Outwardly, they appeared to be right with God. Many of them had faith. Men who were foreordained to this condemnation, men who crossed the line, Jesus was trying to reach them. They're making a decision. Don't think within yourself. It's not too late for anybody. Lie! It's a lie. It is too late for some. It is too late for some. So God comes in. And he judges. He's coming back soon. And when he comes back soon. For about 2,000 years. He's ex extended and it extended the message of mercy and grace and salvation for 2,000 years. His love. Invitation. 2,000 years. But he's fixing to come back. You know why he's coming back to judge? Because he's going to determine. This is as far as it went. He's going to come back. 
you won't get to that. You cross the line. We're moving into that generation. Help me, God, tonight. And I'm not preaching to all the other Pentecostal churches in the United States of America, but I'm telling you, the sin and the immorality that is in the church is your spirit. Really? You haven't made it yet, nor have I. How can you say that you're going to live another day? Much less say tonight, I'm saved, really? We have a hope of salvation. A hope of salvation. I was saved, I'm being saved, but I'm not saving that you yet. So every day, and I'm coming to a close to the 50th time, we have the enemy presenting the world to us. All manner of temptations coming our way. Come on. It'll be all right. You can be saved. You can do that. If I do that, what is going to die in me? What is going to die in me if I yield? What am I going to sacrifice? Not the life of God on the inside of me, but if I do that, something's going to die in me. And how will I recover that? How will I get it back? And we just keep breathing the Holy Ghost. Who will say it? Because he's taking his life. But do we know him? Do we really know him? I love you. Appreciate you listening to me preach tonight. This Bible presents to you a Jesus that the church doesn't present. This Bible presents a Jesus that Brother Edmonds preached to you Sunday night that the church doesn't present. You reject the word of the living God tonight. You reject him. You reject him. You reject this. I think so. And it's not just what, what you say. It's your life. The decisions you make in life and what you do with your life are saying, I believe this. I don't believe this. You can't separate the written word from the living word or the living word from the written word. He is equal. Father, I come before you tonight and I pray for my salvation.